can hear me. Hello. No, I don't think you can hear me. How do I change it? Everyone should be connected. Yes. Hello. Oh, it's working? Hey. It's working. Oh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, the the focus is mainly talking about like life experiences of women's in general and specifically Muslim women because mm-hmm. I feel like there is a, a missing narrative uh, yeah. from Muslim Muslim women on their perspective uh, anything related to education arts STEM whatever mm-hmm. uh, like uh, the guest would be interested in talking about but really like to um, discuss things because often I find people talk about Muslim women but they don't invite them mm-hmm. kind of or you know have a lot of assumptions of uh, and they're like oh no maybe they're not interested maybe they're shy mm-hmm. and they're like modest they want to don't want to talk about this stuff um, and the other part is like looking for inspiration okay I really, <laughs> you're my role model in terms of, like, really seriously, in terms of, uh, like, pursuing your dreams, trying new things. Um, it's, I like, traveling. Mashallah, mashallah. It, it's, like, not everybody can do this, you know. They're, they feel like, oh, why should I do it? Oh, maybe I won't feel comfortable, you know, or um, about traveling and being a woman yeah you know <laughs> yeah if we can start talking about that <laughs> yeah um so where where shall i be in where should so maybe like uh if you can what do you do now right now i am a web developer um for a renewable energy company so i build uh web applications um, and websites for mm. um, internal and external use. So if you go to um, the uh, company's webpage that, you know, I worked on that, I put that together, um, but also the internal sales apps and customer relationship management apps um, worked on components for those too. So that's what I do right now. I've been a developer for, uh, since um, August of 2018, so... Um, and before that? Before that, right before that, I was a teacher. I taught English um, internationally for three years. And before that, I was a retail construction project manager, which basically means that I managed the construction of retail stores um, for almost 10 years. Uh, wow, 10 years, that's yeah. like a very long experience. Yeah, it was, I, I had hit my nine-year anniversary, and it was a big retailer. Um, Is that, was that in Chicago when we well, first I started? Came? I started um, in Philadelphia, and then oh. I was promoted and transferred to the Chicago office, the Midwest office. So there I was over um, Eastern United, uh, Central United States and Eastern Canada, um, as opposed to just a small portion of the East Coast. Um, and I was there, I when I hit nine years, um, I realized like there's still people there that have been there 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, because you know the benefits are really good. The workload is very light. Um, mm. and so you liked it? I did not like it. I was bored. Oh. I was finished my work any day, you know, if I worked consistently, I was finished my work by Tuesday morning. Um, But it was a results oriented work environment. So I could be anywhere in work. So I would not go into the office Monday, probably Tuesday, if I didn't have any meetings. Wednesday, I would go in because there were reports that I wanted to print. Um, Oh, so wait, you said result? Yeah, um, there's a book about it, Results-Oriented Work Environment. So we would, you know, quote, unquote, row. Um, So you didn't have to be in the office. This is, I guess, the predecessor to our current environment working at home. That's nice. That's actually very nice. (laughs) More flexible. Yeah. So I wouldn't go in, you know, we're downtown Chicago, so I wouldn't go in to the office on Monday because 
there was still a lot of tourist traffic and maybe I probably wouldn't go in on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, I would go in to print reports and maybe Thursday. And then Friday, I probably wouldn't go into the office because, um, again, tourist traffic. Um, so, yeah, it was a really easy job, but I was bored out of my mind. I could think of nothing. I, I would just remember thinking, like, I don't want to die and have this be my legacy that I would. Wow. So that was the moment when you said, okay, Katie of change. Yeah, it was probably um, in 2014, um, maybe even before that, like before I moved to Chicago, um, when I was still in Philadelphia, I grew up uh, most of the time in Philadelphia, really secure. And I thought I wanted to, I made a list of things that I wanted, like if I died tomorrow, I would. Oh, tell me more about this list. <laughs> yeah, I, I am 2012, so I had, um, <clears throat> I had turned 30. It was a big, it was a big turning point for me. I had kind of decided that I kind of, kind of decided that I love to travel. So I had done some traveling um, mm-hmm. for the past couple of years. Had some big trips. Um, I was going outside outside of the U.S. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Outside and inside. So I, I'd gone to, you know, uh, Hawaii and Alaska. I'd also gone to Morocco a couple times, Fiji, a uh, couple countries mm. in Europe, like, um, I don't know, seven or eight countries in Europe. Um, my my rule then was uh, when I turned, I think when I turned 30, I was like, if someone asked me to go on a trip or invite invites me on a trip, I will go. Um, like, no question. Oh, okay. So you're not very like you're not uh, a solo traveler. You you can travel with the group. In twenty um, in twenty ten, twenty eleven, I was not a solo traveler. I um, it never really crossed my mind to go alone. Um, I'd grown up a uh, pretty strict Muslim. You know, yeah yeah me too yeah. So <laughs> it's like travel. what if something happens and nobody yeah. and what are you doing you know some people say it's not permissible if it's not necessary mm-hmm. unless you're traveling with you know a group of um islamically knowledgeable women um or you're traveling mm-hmm. to gain knowledge um islamic knowledge then you're not supposed to travel by yourself um mm-hmm. or without you know the ideal situation is with, you know, a male, a male relative, a male guardian. Um, and there is a caveat that is what I use. It's that if you're, <laughs> if you're teaching people um, about Islam, you know, you're exposing people to Islam. And that's what I use as my Islamic validation is that when I travel, I am a Muslim woman. I am presenting Muslim yeah. That adds to the purpose of the whole yeah. trip. and Presenting not only to, like a lot of times with the people I travel with um, or my closer travel group, um, but also just the the community at large. You know, I'm exposing them to Muslim women. A lot of times I'm the first uh, Muslim woman that they've had a chance to talk to. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I use as my Islamic validation to travel. I'm not saying anyone else should, but I am okay with the travel that I do. Um, solo but that's like a very important point you know the first encounter of a muslim woman yeah when, like with with other people i'm sure like there's a lot of i don't know like perceptions expectations or things like that what's what's uh, if you can tell us about like a story of one of your travels that you're like people told you something or yeah it's you know it's funny usually in the larger world they the only thing they know is that you're not like them. So when I went to Costa Rica, <laughs> we capitalize on the difference. Yeah, yes. it, it was just when I went to Costa Rica, it was just that it wasn't that I was Muslim, it wasn't that I was black, it was that you're not Costa Rican, and that was, you know, they had lots of questions about just not being Costa Rican and you know the similarities and differences, and the same with China. It wasn't so much that I was Muslim because China has lots of Muslims. Um, it was and the, the fact that I was black was very unique, but even beyond that, it was that I was not Chinese. And so they had a lot of questions hmm. and- 
So is that because of the like the country they don't have a lot of tourists or are they like fairly homogenous? So yeah, yeah, it is. It's a very homogenous. It's a huge country, very homogenous. Um, it up until um, even now, I think it's one of the most difficult countries to get a tourist visa for, right up there with Saudi Arabia. Okay. Um, so it's not easy to get into. Um, mm. And it's intimidating to um, a lot of travelers to have a lot of preconceived notions about it. Um, Is that, uh, you're, you're talking about Costa Rica? No, China. Or... China, yeah. yeah. And they, um, I also was not in one of the big tourist spots. So Shanghai or um, Beijing are considered the big tourist, the biggest yeah. tourist cities. I was in a, um, a more Chinese tourist city um and even then you figure a lot of you know china's very much in still in development so a lot of people were from the more rural areas and so they were coming to the big city and they were like wow in the big city there are non-chinese people take a picture with me Um, (laughs) so yeah that was that's like they they would stop you and ask you to take a picture they would stop and ask if they could take a picture um and, you know, I didn't speak Chinese, they didn't speak English, and they would just kind of pantomime, will you take a picture? And because China is such a restricted com- country, I knew these pictures were not going anywhere. But around China, <laughs> so I didn't really worry about it, you know. Um, I just wonder, you know, I was definitely the dinner conversation that night. Yeah, then maybe they shared the picture with their relatives oh, yeah. and friends, and, and even like you know the babies and things like that. You know, it was it was fun. It, it it's fun. For how long you you um you went there to teach? Yeah, I right? taught English um at a private boarding school, and I was there for just about two years. Um, two yeah. years—that's a long time. Yeah, you know, either I think, I mean, it's it's a very different life. It's an easy life. But being a non-Chinese person, you, you start to feel like a spectacle, you know, um, and that gets in terms in terms of uh, well, just like I said, where people would ask me to take pictures. I mean, that happened every time I went out to the grocery. Oh, okay, yeah. So that gets tiring, <laughs> um, which is why I think I went to the Middle East next because I just wanted to just blend in and have the easy life and just not I just wanted to blend in like but for two years you've lived in the same um the same city Mm -hmm. city? and the boarding school was like for girls and boys it was yeah it was a co-ed boarding school it went from uh first grade to 12th grade um and I taught first through sixth grade um they were at the school from Sunday like Sunday midday until Friday midday um, and I taught Monday through Friday. Interesting. And how is how is their school system? It's very strict. Um, very yeah, strict. compared to the Middle East, they are polar opposites. Um, they went to school from seven to seven, so seven a.m. to seven p.m. And it was usually like forty-five minutes of teaching and then fifteen-minute break each hour. Um, the younger children, it was more like 40 minutes teaching and then 20 minutes of break. Um, they, most children had, um, or this, this was a very, you know, affluent group of children. So they had extra classes on, um, Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays and even their lunch breaks. So one of the English classes that I taught extra extra classes like is it like an addition to to do more exercises in addition to the seven to seven um the chinese really value it wow and it was they live in the school almost the parents you know they also most chinese people work six days a week they may get one day off or a half a day per week off um so a lot of times the parents were working um and the kids were raised by their grandparents. So them being in boarding school uh, made it easier for, for the parents so that they didn't have to worry about their children. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really different. It's very different. And so I'm from Saudi Arabia and I've done all my schooling in Saudi. And um, like um, 
I don't know. It's it's really different. Like I love the school when I was a kid. <laughs> My mom is a teacher, so it's it's important as like a value of okay, doing good in school, having a good grades. That's very important parts of your future and decide. And based on that, you can decide which I mean major yeah. or college you're applying mm-hmm. to. Uh, education is for free, so we didn't have any issues of like financially, mm-hmm. but. But like um, some people hated school, so I don't think they they would love to be in boarding school for a long time. But again, it's like the the uh, and the number of hours on social. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot. It's a lot of hours being away from home. Yeah, they were. It was hard for the the younger kids. There were a lot of there was a lot of tears, you know in in the first grade class that was you know usually the first time they'd been away from home and 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 they have like a summer break well um they do take a break they take a month off for chinese new year and then usually two months off in the summer but again if you're affluent if you're well you send your children to summer school so those kids maybe get a week or two weeks and then they go to a summer school program Interesting. I think in, in Saudi, I remember the summer break was almost three months. Yeah, they give you a break. And usually... Between oh, go ahead. Two holidays, right? The two Muslim holidays. Yeah, the, yeah. Ramadan usually is like at least the last 10 days of Ramadan is a, a break. And sometimes also they give you another break and round head. Yeah. Uh, and also, and if it's like, I don't know, the summer is around, I don't know. August, we don't use. <laughs> we don't use August. <laughs> I've lived in this state for a long time. No, I forgot. <laughs> but they give us like I think maybe um, um, I don't remember. Maybe after the Hajj, yeah. they'll give us two or three months of studying. Then after that, like okay, you're on a break. Yeah. So like in total, you only studied I don't know for seven months, mm-hmm. max. And when you moved to the Middle East, where did you live? I lived in Damam. Um, I also lived in Khobar uh, because I, I taught in Qatif, which is, um, I don't know if you know, East. Eastern Providence. Of course you know. Um, it's on the Eastern side. I've never been by the way. <laughs> when you asked me, I remember before you went, you asked me about it. I was like, I'm from the West Coast. <laughs> I've never been there. Yeah. Now I can tell you a few things, but I don't have any experiences. Yeah, it's a really, um, it's an interesting area because that's where Saudi Aramco, well, Aramco oil is, right? Yeah. But that's like, that plays a major part in the people. I mean, not just education, in terms of healthcare, they offer for their employee, of course, hospitals uh, and that covers their, um, yeah, health services. They uh, they build stuff. They started this. Um, it's an uh, cultural center, Isra. So they do a lot of projects for the people in that area. Yeah. And the compound is amazing. Like, I if you get, the, I think for anyone, this is anyone. If you if you get the chance to work for Saudi Aramco, if they take you, um, and they pay for your family, they pay for everyone. Um, take it because it is like the lap of luxury. Um, they take care of all your needs and you live in this compound. It's not even, it's like a little city. Um, There's a lot of foreigners. It's not just only service. No, Maybe mainly. I would almost say it's mostly foreigners because probably the same people live mm. outside the compound. Um, True, but yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's just so like, it's, 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 um, like technolo- technical, technologically advanced, um, like they test things, you know, the buses, you know, self-driving and Wi-Fi and all these different things. Like it's, it's really, it's a really fun experience and you get to live with a fun group of expats, people that are, you know, well-traveled and easygoing mostly. Um, and yeah, it's a great way to try, try international living. Yeah, so you you lived in, though you lived in a different city. Yeah, right? I lived in. in um, so I I taught for a 
um, a business college, a women's business college that was a joint venture between a British organization and the Saudi government. Um, and I taught in Qatif, which is a Shia area, um, kind of mm -hmm. like more, it's stricter, it's more in Saudi, in Saudi terms, it's more rural. So it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I live- It's very traditional. Very also. traditional. So full, you know, in the mom, because there's so many Westerners, you know, all the women wore bias, but uh, you know, you would see women without their hair covered or very loosely covered, very easily covered. Whereas in Qatif, a lot of the women covered their face fully, you know, so they- Even if they're not, uh, oh, okay. So maybe it's like a customary. Yeah, so- To the point that you can't do <laughs> the opposite. Out, so, um, which is why a lot of us didn't live in Qatif because it was such a strict, strict area with strict family groups and things like that. Um, they didn't have any like housing options for people who teach in the college. Yeah, they they housed us in a building called the Pink Palace, but <laughs> Pink Pink Palace. Palace. <laughs> it was the name was kind of ironic. It it wasn't a palace at all. Um, in uh, well, I think it was in Kobart, um, near the water. So it was it was an okay area, but the living the living conditions where you had a roommate, um in the apartment, you know, uh, two bedrooms, one bath, a kitchen, a living room. And the alternative was a living allowance. And if you were like me, you know, brown and, you know, could kind of fake your way to, uh, <laughs> you know, fake it as, uh, as a Middle Eastern person um, or new people, you know, like I could just stay quiet and nod and whatnot, um, then you could get a much better deal and kind of pocket the rest of your living allowance. So I only stayed at the Pink Palace, I think two or three months before I found my own place. Even like it was technically um, a long-term hotel, but they would do the cleaning and, you know, I could live by myself. And I think I used maybe half of my living allowance. Um, so those in the know, we didn't live, you know, we found our own places and you kind of, with the other teachers, you would share a driver um, to take you back and forth to the school. This is before women could drive. Yeah, that's very interesting. So uh, maybe this is not, maybe I'll cut this part or maybe I'll keep it. But like, because I've been here in the States for almost mm -hmm. eight years and I didn't witness the driving yeah. part as like for a long time. I only go home over Christmas break. So every time I go like now for two years, <laughs> because they started in 2018, I'm shocked. I'll be like, oh, that's a woman driving. Oh, my sister is, she has a car. <laughs> so it's like, Because it's been the norm for a long time to the point you'll be like, is this normal? Uh, why did we do that before? How, how come did we accept it as a, like a, a thing before? This is such a necessity. It's very important. Well, I've, I've, thought, I've spoke to, um, like I talked to a lot of my drivers when I was there because, you know, I talked to everyone. And it was really a, um, a point of pride that their women didn't have to drive and didn't have to work. Um, yeah, I get that part of the culture yeah. because I'm from the culture. But again, it's <laughs> like uh, there's a lot of inconvenience. Yeah. I mean, everybody can speak to that. Even the, I see some rich people, they're like, okay, we, are, we already yeah. have drivers. Even if we allowed yeah. us to drive, we already have drivers. So we don't worry about it. For, for people from like average uh, middle-income mm -hmm. families, Like mine, it's a lot of inconvenience mm. to pay for something that you can, or or like have a driver. You have to pay for yeah. visa. You have to pay for. It's it's also like. I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I don't know. No, yeah, I think it's. <laughs> um, I mean, there may have been a a point in time where each family had one, you know, one person that drove around. And we have to fight about, yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember that clearly. Like, I need to go to this <laughs> mall, mom. No, your sister needs to get this, so we have to wait. So it's, and we don't have, the other part is, like, we don't have any form of public yeah. transportation. Yeah. So there is no alternative whatsoever. No buses, no, like, there, there are buses. I've used the bus to go yeah, to Mecca, yeah. to Medina. The train, but it's not like in city yeah. service. Yeah. 
And there, I mean, what we used, there was Uber and Kareem, so. Oh, yeah. That, and also, like, even in other Middle Eastern countries, a lot yeah. of bloggers or vloggers, they create uh, yeah. travel blogs. And people are really, I'm sure a lot of people who have never been, they would watch the videos and be like, okay, this is fun. The people are just, yeah. they want to ask you who you are, where are you from, yeah. why are you here, and we'll help you yeah, do whatever not... you need to do. I mean, they're interested that you're coming already yeah. to their country, and I think so that's, they want to um, show you around. Something that may be a cultural difference, like in the United States, we don't really have people over. You don't invite people that you don't know for dinner. Um, and in other places, most areas of the world, Asia, mm-hmm. Africa, um, they they do. Yeah. That's so, the first thing. Oh, come to our place. And it's a deal, you know, <laughs> offer to you turn them food. down. You have to be very delicate about the way you say no. You know, you have to have a good reason. Um, and when you mm-hmm. get there, you have to, you know, do follow the local customs and, you have to eat their food, <laughs> you know, and you can't say like, oh, I'm vegan. And oh, you know, that's, it's not a thing. And so you turn people's food, you know, they invite you into their home. And, you know, you turn down their food, you turn down their hospitality. Like, that's, that's not a good thing. Um, and that's something that is unusual for Americans. Um, if you haven't dealt with a lot of people from outside of the United States. Yeah, and, and I think they take it as, um, so mm-hmm. hospitality is a big part also of the religion yeah. in general. And that you're hosting somebody in your house, you're, you make sure they're comfortable, they're, if they need I mean, accommodations or directions or anything. That's yeah. That's kind of your duty to it's, do. Um, like you, if you're if you go to an American oh. person's house, it's not unusual for them to not offer you anything. I'm saying like average American. You know, if they're a Muslim American, I hope they offer you something. I have enough um, to offer you, you know, <laughs> a drink, a snack, or something. But like average American, it's not unusual. And I remember, I don't remember what I was reading. And they, you know, they, someone had them over and they were like, they, they gave them tea, but that was it. It was just like the teacups. They were like, that's it. Like, can I get, like, is she really not going to give me like any cookies, any biscuits? Like she didn't make a dessert. Can I at least get some, you know, some nuts or something? Like (laughs) they were so appalled. Um, so yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah. The customs are different. The the customs are very different. But it's also that's also a beautiful thing. To it is. It's it is, and it's something I brought home. Like if someone comes over, I love that feeling of having like so casually being welcomed. Like I don't know how they do it. Maybe you can tell me how. But it's like you stop by, and you know, within an hour, there's like. <laughs> Not only have you had like tea and snacks, sweet and savory, but there's a whole dinner being prepared, like a whole meal. And it's like, well, are you just cooking this or is this for me? Like, how are you ready instantly? You know, you go into motion and, you know, they sit out and everyone's just, you know, you feel so welcome. And so like, that's one of the things I try to do. I haven't quite gotten it down to a science, but like I can make you tea. I will have something like if I don't have it ready, I can prepare like a quick, you know, snack, uh, you know, appetizer, something to like welcome you into my home because that's how it should be done. You know, that's how that's how you welcome you show someone that you care about their presence. Yeah, and it's so again, my families are they're a little bit more uh, reserved. So <laughs> even the people who visit us usually are just family or friends or people we work with. Uh, but in general, in Saudi, no, you're, you invite people. If you meet yeah. them, even 
like on the road, somebody needs something. Oh, no, come home. You call your family and be like, okay, prepare your tea and coffee. I have a couple of people coming. That's yeah, like it's, very normal it's thing to do. It's a great thing. And um, I wish more Americans did it. So are there people around you, like American, um, is there Muslim or non-Muslims who traveled like to the Middle East and well, just for fun? Well, not necessarily for fun, but in Philadelphia, there's um, there's a Muslim community, a, a Black American Muslim community is very large and um, mm. very, very old. And yeah. one of the things that makes it unique is that um, although we're American, um, so a lot of, I know a bunch of people my age, I just turned 40. So in the 80s and 90s, their families moved to the Middle East, um, either Saudi Arabia or Egypt. Oh, they yeah. moved, like, relocated um, permanently. So that they could get wow. um, an Islamic education. Um, and then they come back. Wow. Yeah, they come back. A lot of them, you know, they go, they get their education, they come back, or people will send their children to be educated and then, you know, the kids come back. So we have a community here that's very black, very American, but also very Muslim, you know? And you see that when you move around, you'll see women in all black, you'll see men, they wear, you know, their thobes every day, very dark. Yeah, I remember. So I really love social media a lot <laughs> because I remember like maybe two years ago, there was a, a video of uh, I think it's from Feli. I'm not sure, and mm-hmm. they're going to Hajj. So there is a big bus, a group of people who are traveling on the bus, mm-hmm. and I th- believe they're going to Hajj. And the relatives and friends mm-hmm. are saying goodbye to them, singing. Um, I don't remember what was it, but maybe yeah. or something. It was like an Islamic song. And truly, I feel like, oh, my God, they're all Americans, and we've never seen anything like this before. This is so yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that's, I mean, I know there's a big masjid here that they do a Hajj send-off, and it's kind of like a yearly event um, yeah, where everyone, okay. you know, usually they leave as a group. So it's where, you know, everyone gets their documents and, you know, their luggage. They're going on a bus to New York usually to fly out. Um, And everyone, you know, everyone gathers to get the blessings of sending them off. You know, people give their duas that they Mm -hmm. want to be made. um, Or sometimes just give their name and say, make dua for me. They give money. And, you know, hoping to give, you know, you give the money to the people going on Hajj and get the blessings for it. Um... So yeah, it's it's a big deal. I know people that, you know, even like I I went I've only been once when my mom went. Um, but I know people that it's it's part of their yearly ritual. They go to the Hodgson Dock, they take something like little bags of like treats and toiletries that you can use when you travel, um, or they give money, like they do it every year. It's part of their yearly their yearly um Oh, so they give yeah. it to the people who are traveling for Hajj. If they're not, Even related, if they don't, they're not like, family, oh you know, gosh. they usually like, wow. you can, it's a, it's, it's such a big thing. Um, they do practices, you know, so before that you join the group, you say you want to go, they practice, you know, they do um, like practice walking and, you know, this is what it will be like. They have classes and things that say, this is what it will be like, how to prepare yourself. So everyone knows usually the number of people and then they'll make you know, little goodie bags and things for the number of people that are going. It's it's really a beautiful thing um, that the community supports. Somebody should make a video, please, or a movie about it, a film about yeah. it, because we really need to learn how Muslim communities all around the world prepare for Hajj. This is like yeah, a very I important thing we experience yeah, that I, w- I would love traveling. to see that the the people who've been doing it here in philly they've been doing it for like 20 30 years like they've they've been doing it for a long time um and i think i know there's a man in canada he's the same way he's been do- okay i want to i want to ask you about you talked about being um muslim yeah. women and and black so th- this is like i'm not sure how how to ask this but when you travel to the Middle East and also to China or anywhere else, how do you 
how do people perceive you or or how did you like deal with uh, um, certain expectations been... yeah I'm not sure what's the question is but like how do you carry yourself that I haven't had mm-hmm. any trouble I haven't been you know um like stop well that's not true but I haven't had any major trouble um the closest I came was in Kenya we were stopped our car was stopped by the police and they questioned us and they checked our passports and it was me and two British women and I guess they basically decided it, we weren't worth the trouble um so they just kind of said like you'll buy me lunch today and so we had to give them some money yeah <laughs> um really and we gave them money and then they let us go I know other people they kind of they had to go further like they were at the police station and had to call someone to bring more money and you know they were let go so that's alhamdulillah that's the closest I've come to having any type of trouble um I'll say that like I said I'm very I try to just um do as the locals do so dress as the locals do I don't wear like fancy things or take fancy things, um, name brands and things like that. Um, I can remember being in Morocco and I was so happy because that was the first time I'd seen a halal McDonald's. I'd gone in and gotten like a Big Mac or something <laughs> um, and had gotten food to go and planned to go back to my hotel. And I think we were in Marrakesh. But then I realized, you know, I kept seeing people look at my bag my McDonald's bag. And I realized that, you know, McDonald's is expensive for the average person in Marrakesh. So if they see me with the McDonald's bag, they think I have money. Um, So I just kind of tucked it into a shopping bag, like a regular reusable shopping bag, so that it wasn't attracting um, more attention. Um, And being, I try to be aware of things like that, be sensitive to things like that. Um, Not, you know, uh, I don't know, just, and not flaunt my Americanness. So learn, you know, the local language so that I can at least say, you know, hi, bye, thank you um, in that language. Um, hmm. Even if the people, if I may add, even if the people understand English or speak English, you yeah. have to, to know at least few words. To show them yeah, that you're easier, <laughs> you know, whatever transaction, it's respectful, I think. You want to show the people that you respect them and where you are. So even any, another phrase that I, I learn is, you know, do you understand English or do you speak English? So don't assume that person speaks English. I ask them to speak English and then I can continue in English. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's for any country, you know. Um, what else? I... I do things I do to safeguard myself. I think for the most part, most of the world is brown. As a brown person, I think it's easier traveling as a brown person than a white person. Yeah, because um, white people, unfortunately, signal money, you know, and foreign in a lot of places. And so if you're brown, they assume... Oh, so it takes harder yeah. from their parts. And to, if you're brown, you can kind of blend in and people don't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not very tall. So maybe if I was like a seven foot man, you know, it'd be different. But they don't assume that you have money or that you're mm-hmm. trouble. Um, that's, again, where speaking a little of the of the local language comes in handy because, you know, I'm trying to ride that I'm not a foreigner wave as long as I can. Um I try to, if I arrive, and I try to make sure I arrive during the daylight hours and it gives me plenty of time to get where I need to go before nightfall. Um, that's just good practice, you know, as a Yeah. Yeah. So going out when it's, yeah. like, the sun is and out. I try to home. be in a busy area. Um, like I may have to pay a little more to be close to, the city center, I look for reviews from other single women to see like, oh, you know, walked around at night, had no issues or, you know, uh, I always um, check in with the front desk or the door person, you know, so they know I'm coming and going and they'll keep an eye on you, I think, you know, 
they'll they'll check on you. They'll make sure you're okay. So I've had times where I said, yeah, I'm going here. And they said, well, you know, maybe don't go there by yourself. I'll, you know, I'll have someone go with you. And I'm not going to say no, you know, I'm fine. Or, you know, I want to leave now, not in two hours. I'm going to take that person's advice and, you know, wait, wait for some company. So Mm. um, I think people in general, people are much kinder outside of the United States. Um, And yeah, I think so. And they, and even, you know, I would say (laughs) to a certain extent in the more rural areas of the United States, like they're used to looking out for other people. They're not going to suffer or let something bad happen to you. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, just no money involved or Mm -hmm. anything. Like they, they look out for people. So, you know, if you, you know, you act respectfully, you know, you treat them with respect, um, you act humbly, then you, people will take care of you. Um, That's, that's what I've found uh, in my travels. I think maybe if we can go over, because some of the countries you visited are non-Muslim countries, so like when you were in China, how did I navigate being a Muslim in some countries? Um, Yeah. So the hardest, I think the hardest thing um, is the dietary restrictions, making sure things are halal or in countries like China or even some European countries, like Eastern European countries, where there's a lot of pork um, because it's cheap, um, mm-hmm. making sure that um, that I'm a, I, I know where I stand in that country. So I do some research before I go um, to see, like, are there a lot of Muslims there? No. Um, if there are Muslims there, then, you know, usually you can find like there's halal food, like Fiji. There's a lot of Indian Muslims in Fiji. So, you know, you could find halal places (laughs) or if you ask a Fijian person, if you told them, you know, I don't eat pork or something like that, they would understand. Um, Vietnam is the same way. Well, no, Vietnam is different. They do have Muslims, but they also have um, people who are vegetarian. So if yeah, I'm vegetarian, and yeah, you can find that option, actual yeah. phrase in Vietnamese, then, you know, they know, like, okay, this is, you know, this is what you can have. Um, so that's another learning, another thing I learned how to say, like, is there meat or is there pork? Um, in China, they really, it's the, the way the language is, um, if it said meat, it was probably pork um, because it's cheap. Uh, chicken was like a little different because they have eggs, but then they would specify like lamb or beef because that's a more expensive cut. Um, and so I learned very quickly to recognize the symbol for mm. meat, AKA pork. And then whether there was another uh, symbol added to it to say it was lamb or beef or chicken. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. Um, I travel, you know, compass and your own rug, your own prayer clothes, uh, because outside of the Middle East in like Asia, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, you're usually fine. Um, you have, yeah, you have to find the direction yourself. The direction, um, yeah. I may also do a quick Google search, uh, to see if there's a mosque in the area. Um, but also depending, like in Indonesia, you know, there are meshes all around, but like it's, um, I wasn't sure how men and women interacted. So, yeah. And since I didn't speak, you know, the the language, I didn't speak Indonesian. um, And I was in kind of just like a residential area. I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, I go and I visit during the off hours, but I wouldn't go for like Friday prayer or anything like that. Um, That's that's very important. Part because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the project. Um, no, I didn't know there was side a side entrance. Okay. Yeah, so uh, oh my gosh, I'm blinking for her name. Come, she's I think her name is Hint. We I met her in Chicago, and she created this project where she documents uh, visually and like in, in photos, and also like writes on a blog about how Muslim women 
areas or spaces for prayer and mosques are yeah. usually like a very yeah, small room bad, well, oh, or maybe yeah, the back the or they, they don't tend to the be ground. nice Saudi Arabia has really nice ones um, but still yeah. it's much smaller than the male area that's that's uh, not a nice thing to do because you you we really you're saying that okay more women comes to the mosque yeah. well, the they, kids are there what right? about like, eat? the we women need the kids are with the women so they need you know a more a more well appointed space hmm. um so yeah that's something like unless i have a woman that i know in the area i wouldn't go to like friday prayer or during the busy times at the masjid um what else do i consider i think that's pretty much um that's pretty much it like other than that you can kind of you know i entertain myself and you know go where where i like to go you know museums and walking tours and things like that um men in most countries are fairly the countries i've been to i haven't been to like italy and greece which i hear are a little worse but they're they're pretty respectful or at least um yeah so well, if you don't give them that like, opening yeah. then they won't take it um sometimes you have to be a little rude like even in the middle east they find out you're american and they think you know yeah yeah the assumptions yeah. that you're you okay to, with yeah with the handshake yeah you have to shut that down nope. you may feel i, I feel a little rude sometimes when i do it but um times when i've tried to be more polite they didn't get the message which is i think universal um so you have to be a little more um what do you do usually i i put my hands on my chest and be like yeah. uh i don't do I, like out of respect okay i'm putting my right hand on my chest yeah and, like, yeah i Same. got like, what you're trying you know, to you do but kind of uh, like shake hands you know give a nod and you know move away like make your hands unaccessible um the i try just not to um like make have personal conversations you know like we're into this area of talking about myself um you know it's kind of it's kind of strange um or it's kind of hard to specify but you know yeah and you know it's you, kind of an there's a point in conversations too where yeah. things will kind of go into a more personal area um, and you have to kind of steer it toward more, you know, general things. Um, and, you know, yeah, it really is. It really is. I think that's and, everywhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's a skill, hopefully, like women everywhere kind of have to learn. It's just like, you know, you have to make up an excuse, you make up a friend, you know, someone's meeting me somewhere. Um, I try, I've learned to talk in more general, like not I, me, it's we, you know, we live here and we have a house here and we're going here. So don't assume it's just me by myself. Um, yeah. Yeah, just more general. Oh, that's a nice tip for safety. It's, also. it's hard kind of, especially if you're, you know, you're, I'm very secure in who I am and my place in life, but I don't want to give people more information than than they deserve. So refer to things as we, we will be here, we are staying here, you know, plural terms. Thanks for watching me because I was not Chinese. Out of interest. Interesting. So you, when you're living abroad or you're living in, in a different yeah. country, you, you kind are of not in a bad all way. the time. Maybe some you're Americans, and some Black Americans, they think maybe uh, there are racial implications to it. Like they think something bad. They think something bad is expected of them, but that's not usually the case. They're just, you know, they're just watching you. Like if I went into the grocery store in China um, or the big store, like, you know, they had like Walmarts and things. Um, and I could be shopping for, let's say, cleaning products, right? 
And in China, there's so many people, like their customer service is that like each aisle has a person, like an attendant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so really? like if I went down an aisle, Whoa. like they were all, you know, it's not too crowded. So they, you know, be chatting or whatever. If I went down an aisle, I would look back and I would see maybe two or three women watching. They're usually women, usually older women um, watching me and talking. <laughs> and I would, you know, go about my business, you know, shopping for whatever I was looking for. And sometimes they would come over and they would just like take whatever was in my basket out and replace it with something else. And which is like, I mean, that's auntie behavior everywhere, right? <laughs> I would just say thank you. And they would, you know, they would be talking the whole time. I had no idea what they were saying. Yeah. But I'd just say thank you and say, like, you know, auntie knows you keep going. And then when I get to the cash register, there's always a person to like, there's the cashier, and then there's like the person that puts things in bags, right? And when I would get to the line, when I would, it was my turn. You know, usually when I looked up, it was the cashier and the security guard and the person putting things in bags. And they would talk the whole time. And they would just talk about what I bought. Like, oh, wow. She bought the right thing. Oh. Yeah, the foreigners, they like these. <laughs> and, you know, they would just watch the whole thing. And, oh, she's she's paying cash. And, you know, it's just like, and then they will all say goodbye. Like, they were smiling the whole time. This is why after two years, it was like, it was a lot, but you know, everything was interesting and um, yeah, you just kind of have to go with it and, you know, laugh along and, you know, be in good spirits and that was it. We have, we have a lot to learn and I think it starts with traveling more, getting, you know, Americans, young Americans outside of the United States to experience life and see that a lot of what you hear on the news is not true. Um, that, you know, the United States is good at very few things, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and that, you know, th there are other ways to do, to do things and get things done. Um, and I think especially it starts with women. Everything starts with women. Um, and I would say be safe, but don't, you know, don't let other people's fears stop you from doing the things that are important. Do you have anything at the end to say about you? Yeah, How can people find you? If you're on social media, I'm on or many if you have a blog or something, figured out what uh, what my I have I've been saying I do a blog and I haven't. Um, but yeah, I'm on Instagram at Shaquille Moni. That's the best way to find me. That's where I have the most fun. Yeah, we'll include that in the description of the episode as well. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you for your time, Shaquille. <laughs> 